Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see everybody fellowshipping, and I'd like to go ahead and welcome the online viewers that are watching right now. And uh, it's always, uh, I know there are a lot of people that are uh, sometimes infirm or they're not feeling up to it, or, but it's good to have the online platform so we can watch online, and we welcome everybody online. Get your Bibles out and your notebooks because we're going to go in deep tonight into uh, Hebrews. But uh, for those who are, who are here in the room, the, the snack bar is still open. There's some, uh, is that, Lou, is that coffee cake, Lou, that you have? A coffee cake? What did you bring tonight? Yes, you. <laughs> oh, banana nut cake. Wow. Oh, thank you. Uh, Maureen is holding up. Can you hold this up, Maureen? If anybody needs a journal. There's the journals for this book, the book of Hebrews. If you don't have the money tonight, just take one anyway. Um, get it back to us or just take one in general. Uh, it's, a good, it's good to be able to condense your notes into one specific place. I was just talking to Lou, and she said she has notes scattered from sermons all over the place. I know you can relate to that. Uh, sometimes you can put those in a notebook, but sometimes if you have a single book, it's wonderful to have everything condensed into one thing. Uh, some people prefer to bring their own notebooks, but... I can tell you this, you will be definitely needing a notebook for this study, uh, and then some. It's, good. it's a tome. It's amazing. So, again, I want to welcome you uh, who are here tonight. Um, tonight, what we're going to do, well, first of all, what I'd like to do is just say what a wonderful job Pastor Brenton did with the series on how to study the Bible. He gave us the why of, of why we study, uh, to, you know, to be closer in relationship with, to the Lord, all the things uh, all the reasons why. Then he, he actually went on the screen and showed us kind of how to break down a passage. And it was so good to understand that. And even as I began to read through this overview tonight, I, I read through the entire uh, book of Hebrews, came back, and then, and then I went back one more time and hit some of the por portions where I, I don't understand this spot. What does this mean? Read it again, looked at some other scriptures, and then was able to look at a couple commentaries. I've got three, I've got four commentaries that I'm working with as we start this study. So it's important to make sure they all align and we're all doing the, we're, we're thinking the same things on this. So uh, using his technique that he showed, uh, which was wonderful, breaking it down and, and maybe learning something and going, well, that wasn't quite right there, but this is correct here. Um, it was very helpful. And, I, and, and that's the way I know he studies. That's the way Pastor Greg studies. That's certainly the way I study when I look at a passage, because we want to make sure we understand not what we think the what we think it's saying, but we want to understand what God is truly saying and who He's saying it to matters. And we'll see in Hebrews as we do this overview tonight that it matters who the writer is speaking to, because you can go off in different directions if you think that it's written to certain people or not certain people. So it's very important, especially in Hebrews. Um, so I want to thank. Pastor Brenton, for going through that. Uh, he is actually going to, uh, we're going to be ping-ponging back and forth between a study, so he's going to take some of Hebrews, and I'm going to take some of it. I don't know if it's going to be a week-to-week -week thing, or every third week, or if, if I dig into a chapter and I, and I don't finish it, then certainly I'll be able to finish it the next week, you know, so, but we're, we're actually meeting for lunch tomorrow, and Scotty Brown is going to also maybe take a class here and there, and we're just trying to figure out the logistics of that and what works best for his schedule. So, this is wonderful. Uh, it's an incredible book. Just, just in brief, what we're going to do tonight, just let me kind of break down what we're going to do. In fact, I have something that um, I was thinking about, actually someone told me about, but there's an ongoing debate 
whether uh, God likes or prefers coffee or tea, but we do know that he brews. Oh, I hope, the, I, hope the, I hope this mic can pick up all the heavy sighs. My, my mom actually gave me that joke, and I said, I might use that for sympathy. So anyway, so why don't we go ahead and begin in prayer, as always, that should precede any time of study that we do, whether it's on our own or in a group or at church. So let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for each and every person that is here tonight, Lord, you brought them from different scenarios, and we've had different days, Lord, and we've had, uh, some may have had good days, some may have had uh, tough days, Lord, and uh, whatever the case, Lord, we pray that we can settle into uh, tonight to, to learn from your Holy Spirit as, as the, the, the Holy Spirit that actually inspired, that was there when these books were written, Lord, that same Holy Spirit is with us now as we look at this text and this wonderful book, Lord, that I pray that uh, this text will be illuminated for us tonight, even as we do the overview, uh, and that we can have some even good takeaways tonight just from a basic overview of this book, Lord. Uh, we pray for those who are not able to make it tonight. We know they might be watching on live stream or pick it up later on, on, uh, on Facebook, Lord, but I pray for those who are uh, not feeling well or uh, are in the hospital or have certain illnesses, Lord, and uh, or something has prevented them from being here tonight, Lord. But I thank you for each and every one who is watching and will listen to this, uh, this uh, introduction, Lord, tonight. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. So, well, here's what I'd like to do. This book is a, it, this book, uh, the book of Hebrews is like a full course dinner. I mean a full course dinner, starting with the appetizers. You get in the first, the very first few verses, and you could just fall down and just think about it for a long, long time. It's just amazing. The way it was written is beautifully. This book is written so, in, so, uh, in a, such an amazing fashion. And, but but it, it's, it's, a, it's a rich meal. It's heavy on appetizers. It's heavy in the central portion of what is in there. There's so much rich doctrine and encouragement and warnings and exhortations. And at the end of the book, it, it ends with such a, a beautiful dessert and coffee, so to speak. It's just, it's just a very beautifully written book, uh, just literally, and as far as the way it's written. But if you're taking notes tonight, I'm going to try to intentionally slow down for you and go slow, uh, because what I want to do is start with with just the basics of who, what, where, when, and why of the book, just the technical stuff. And then what I'd like to do is move into an outline of the entire book for you. And I'll allow you to write down or let you write down exactly where we're going to be going as you look through the whole book. I don't know how many weeks this is going to take. It could take a long time. It just depends on how quickly. And then at the end of this, I want to talk about the why. So why do we study Hebrews? What's the point? What, what, for what reason? And that's more of the, the personal. That would be like the application part of even just this introduction tonight. So as we begin, um, here, if you want to just kind of take notes, I'm going to give you the general outline of what we're going to cover tonight. So in the, in, the, in the who, what, where, when, why part, we want to look at, first of all, the title itself. So if you want to write down title. The next thing is author slash date. So who wrote it? Who do we think wrote it? Maybe. And then the date, when it was written, which is important. Then we want to look at 
Uh, the general message. What is the general message, overall arching message of Hebrews? So we have title, and then we have author and date. We have, we have general message, or the central message, I should say, central or general, and then the purpose, So it's, which is a little different than the, the, the central message, the purpose. So the purpose, and then finally, who is this book addressed to? Who is this book addressed to? So again, title, the author and date, the general message or central message of the gospel of this particular book, uh, the purpose of the book, and who it is addressed to, which really matters in this book. The second thing we're going to do tonight is I'm going to give you a general outline. So the so the next category, if this is, if that was one for all those, and you had sub subtitles. Then the second thing is the outline, the overall outline, the or the outline overview. Okay. So the outline overview, which you'll find when I get into that, you'll be like, oh, that's huge, because it really makes sense the way this is laid out. And then the final thing is the why uh, we should study uh, Hebrews. Why, 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 why study this? What's the point? Right? So, so let's go ahead and begin. If you want to go ahead and, well, actually, you can turn to Hebrews. Um, we're, we're, again, we're not going to... I may grace the pages of this first chapter, but I probably won't. I'll leave that to Brenton because that's what I promised him I would do. But just want to give you the general um, uh, overview type thing, but, but we're going to start with what I talked about before, the who, what, where, when, and why. So the title, if you're taking notes, is Hebrews or to the Hebrews. That's originally in 100 AD. That's what it was coined as, to the Hebrews, because Romans was to the Romans. So this was to the Hebrews is the... Is the uh, is who it was written to. Hebrews are the Jews. Now, there's no direct references to Gentiles or Jews in this particular book, but based on everything about the book, the Levitical law, the Levitical sacrifice, the Levitical priesthood, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, all the things that are mentioned in this book point towards the Jews. That's who it was written to. So that's how we come to know that, because everything in this contextually points to things that Jews or Israel would, know, would have known. And so that's why it is called Hebrews and it's to the Jews. Now, the unique thing about Hebrews, probably maybe more so than any other book, is that Hebrews ties beautifully the Old Testament into the New Testament. It, it, it marries the, the two together perfectly, because you have to remember when you, when you read the Bible and you study the Bible, you study, it's important to study all of the Bible. There's, there's some pastors or preachers that I know, uh, in fact, one was a famous, he's got a, a church of probably 10,000 people, and he kind of dismisses the Old Testament. He wants to put it in its own category and just focus on the New Testament. Well, how can you possibly do that when the Old Testament, oh, the Old Testament informed the Old Covenant, informed the New Covenant. You have to understand what it was and what it pointed to to really have a full grasp and a full, complete understanding of the New Testament. So this book of Hebrews really ties together the Old and the New, and we'll see that as we go through here over and over again. It's very, very clear. So the second thing, that was the title. Second thing is author and date. 
author and date. Now, there is really, some people have said Paul wrote it. Some people said Apollos. Uh, some people said uh, oh, Priscilla. There, there, so many people have said many things. And up until probably, uh, I would say, maybe a couple hundred years ago, a lot of people did kind of point, point to Paul. But when people think of Paul, his, this writing style of this, if you really know literary style, it just doesn't quite match up. Maybe Paul, if he was, you know, had too much hyssop or something, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's written so differently that that is one of the reasons why people say it wasn't Paul. Another reason, if you turn to just, this is, again, I'm not, we're not really digging into the scripture right now. But if you look in chapter 2, which should be right near where you're at, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to, by, to us by those who heard. So it was attested to us by those who heard. So that kind of rules out all the apostles, because the apostles heard it directly, including Paul. He was face-to-face -face with Christ. So that's one of the things that a lot of theologians look at and go, probably couldn't be Paul because of that very reason, because of that verse. So... Do we know who wrote Hebrews? No, we don't. We really don't. A lot of people have, have leanings. It might have been this person, might have been that person, but overall the author is really unknown at this point. And I would imagine will remain the same. When was it? We do what we do know though is this book was written by the Holy Spirit. It was a synergistic work, like all of the all of the Bible. It was breathed out, the Word of God. And so the Holy Spirit, we can say for certain, was part of this writing. Um, so the date, so I had down here author and date. Date ranges, now I've heard people, some theologians say early 60s AD, all the way to about the late 60s AD. So I'm gonna land somewhere in the middle and say it was probably mid 60s AD, right? So that's 65 years after the death of Christ, right? It's before the collapse of the, of the temple in Jerusalem, but it is under, they're under heavy persecution at this time. So. Just in context, 65 years or so after Christ died is when this book was written, which really matters because it gives you an understanding through some of the writings of Josephus and uh, some of the early church history that these Jews were under persecution. Uh, and so that matters when you read this book. So author and date we've covered. About 65, I would say 65. It was somewhere, some theologians have it's early 60s, some said late 60s, but they all agree on some of that span. So I would split the difference and call it 65 AD. 65 AD? 65 years. Right, yeah. Well, yes, correct, right. So, thank you, Peggy. So here's something interesting, and this is kind of the one major full theme. What is the central message of this book? The central message, if you could do one overarching theme of the entire book, what would that look like? Uh, so, and I'll, I'll try to, I'm going to try to read this slowly, but I always have a hard time doing that. So I'll read it slowly, and then maybe I can give you the synopsis of it. Just listen to, just before you write, just listen. Jesus Christ and his work on the cross 
is far better and far superior than any being, person, tradition, law, or ritual ever observed in human history. So the central theme is that Christ is far superior to anything and everything that you people have ever experienced. And we know that as we read through Hebrews, it's an encouragement, it's an exhortation, it's a, it's a, it's a warning, uh, it's, a, it's a, um, a correction. But what this author is doing in such a beautiful fashion is saying, Christ is superior to everything. Nothing matches. He is preeminent. Nothing at all. And he goes, he goes through a litany through that, this entire book of he's better than this. He's better than this. He's better than this. He's better than this. All the things that he saw and heard and practiced for thousands of years. Christ is better than all those things. And that's the main focus of this, is Christ is superior over everything. Everything you've experienced, everything, every tradition you ever had, every type of sacrifice you ever thought was right, is Christ is overarching superior to all of that. So that's the central message. Uh, and it is a word of exhortation. The purpose of this book, though, which is the number four, three was the central message. And that would, I would if you just want to put it in a nutshell, Christ is better than anything. That's really what, he, what the author is, is, is saying here. The purpose of Hebrews, which is number four, and this is important because you can have a, a theme of something, but then there's got to be a why to the theme. Like, so, okay, so great, I get it. Christ is better than everything, but why do I need to hear that? And so the purpose of this was that it was critical. The purpose was to urge the Jews. Now, Here's, here's where it gets a little tricky, to urge the Jews, both believing Jews and unbelieving Jews. And we'll get into that a little bit in just a minute here. So to urge Jews, both believing and non-believing, yet to urge the Jews to adhere to the Christian faith. This is important to write down, so I'm going to take my time with this. To urge the Jews, both believing and non to adhere to the Christian faith and to persevere and to persevere in it even when they encounter persecution for it. So to adhere to the Christian faith and to persevere in it when they encounter persecution or suffering for it. So that's huge, because that gives you an understanding of why the author wrote this. There were Jews, Christians, Christian Jews that were being persecuted. Their heads were being cut off in Colosseums. They were being burned at the stake. They were martyrs. And so a lot of these Jews were thinking, would it be a lot easier just to slide back and lay off on the Christ stuff and maybe go back and do some of the the other things that were, I, they were comfortable. The sacrifice at the Temple Mount and, uh, and to the high priest and those types of things. So there were Jews that were, I would say, waffling. There were some that were actually leaving the faith. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. So, uh, and it was a reminder, this, this book was also a reminder that while tempting, here we go, to return to the law, and its traditions, which what is what Jews were doing at this time. While that's tempting, 
their new freedom in Christ is superior to the works of the law. So, so just in a nutshell, instead of reading that directly, I just explain one more time that during that time frame, there was so much turmoil going on and it was relatively new and they were being uh, martyred for it and they were being persecuted for it. And the author is simply saying, before you look back in the past and go to easier things, just know that Christ supersedes all of this. He's far better than this in everything, in, in, in the sacrificial method, in the, the law, uh, in so many ways, Christ is better. And so that kind of gives you an understanding of what was going on in the people he was writing to, okay? So that was the, the purpose of Hebrews. So who are the people, and this is very important, who are addressed in the book? There's three basic categories of people, and it's important to understand this because in Hebrews, you can get into some really tricky things in 6 and in 10 about salvation and people falling away. There's a lot of language in there that, that one would say as a Christian, I don't understand what's going on here. So to understand contextually, it's important to understand that different parts of the book are written to different types of Jews. So first being believing Jews, believing Jews, ones that he is simply affirming and saying, stay with it, stay to the faith. Um, the second category would be unbelieving Jews, some that are, have heard, but they're not quite convinced. They, they, or they have heard, because we, you know, we can hear things and know things, but our eyes and the scales have not fallen off completely yet. And we are, we're, not fully, we're not fully surrendered to give our, uh, give our entire lives and repent and, and, and serve the Lord. And he's the Lord the, the, under the Lordship of Christ. So there were some that had heard, but they, they, were, they were unbelieving at this point. And then there were some who were unbelieving Jews that had heard, they demonstrated what appeared to be fruits, and then they fell away. And then so they were non-believing at that point. And so that's, and what that's like is that's the, the seeds that are cast out. And which ones is it that they, 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 they sprout up for a while and they seem to show that they're, and that's the ones on rocky soil. And then they wither because there's nothing, they're not rooted or grounded or anchored in anything, into any soil, it's rocks. And that was the parable of the sower. So these are ones, so there's three basic kinds of, uh, basic types of people in this audience. And it's, it's, it's important to understand how to navigate this book so that you know who they're talking to. So this will come out more clearly as we get into the book and get into certain passages and we say, well, this is what this means. And these are the people, the types of people that, it's, uh, that this book is being written to. And here's why. Because sometimes you can take a verse and see it at face value in one particular book, but if the rest of Scripture does not affirm that, then you have to look at that, that passage again and go, well, what are other options there? Could it be that it's being written to someone other than believers? And that oftentimes is the case. So we need to look at all of Scripture to affirm things. So those are the three uh, major groups that it's, they're being taught, uh, talked to. So there was a group of people... Uh, I just learned this this afternoon as I listen. I typically try not to listen to anything before I study. I, I again, like Pastor Brent and I read and then reread and reread and check it against other scriptures. And then I'll bring in commentary if I don't understand or and then expound on things. And I try to leave the, the watching to the last minute because there are some really good commentators on and preachers that talk about Hebrews. So I try to wait on that 
but I did watch a little 20 minute uh, uh, clip today of my RC Sproul. And Sproul said, if I was on a desert island and I had one book, obviously the Bible, if I had one book of the Bible, he said it would be Hebrews. It would be Hebrews. I thought, wow. So he, he just did this 20 minute thing on Hebrews. But he also said there was people during this time frame called lapses, lapses, and they, they lapsed. They, they came on strong, and they heard, and they, 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 they appeared to be Christians, and then they lapsed back into the, the old ways. And so that gives you an understanding of, of who the audience is here, which really matters as we go forward, okay? So let's do the outline overview. This is my most exciting part here. This is just so neat. I've, I've seen it. I saw it as I read through this book, and then I saw it in several of the commentaries, by, by, by the scholars, and I thought it was just such a neat way to break it down. So have your pens ready. This is going to be a little bit lengthy, but you got to try to, to, to go fast. Is anyone here writing it in the Bible itself, or are you writing, anybody writing in the Bible? You're writing in the margins? Yeah, some people write right in the margins of their Bible, and so that they can look at it, and it's right there all the time. Some people have a, most of the people have like a, a, a journal, so you want to write it in the journal. This is at the very beginning pages. Is there places in this journal for Writing in the very beginning, who has a journal? Yeah. Okay, so good. Yeah, so this is where you're going to write this, sort of this entire little outline of what we're going to cover. Um, so the first thing, and you'll notice that it's uh, the word superior pops up a lot. And I know this may be a little bit um, uh, scholarly tonight. We're just sort of going through the basics of it. But I want you to come away with a good understanding of what the whole book looks like and what the whole book is saying, and what the whole book means. So the first thing, number one, Christ is superior. You're going to write that a lot. Christ is superior to the prophets. And that's chapter 1, 1 through 3. Christ is superior to the prophets. The second thing, I know I'm going too fast, aren't I? <laughs> Just kick me, Debbie. <laughs> So the first thing that we're going to see in this book is Christ is superior to the prophets. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Secondly, this might have been easier as a handout, but I like to make you write. Christ is superior to the angels. To the angels. And that's chapter 1, verse 4, through chapter 2, verse 18. And if you want to put a, like, a, like a bracket around those two things, around the prophets and the angels, that is Christ's position. His position is superior to those two, to those two groups right there. So one, Christ is superior to the prophets. Number two, Christ is superior to the angels. And again, that's chapter 1, verse 4, through uh, Chapter 2, verse 18. So we're, as you see, we're kind of walking through to break down this whole thing. So stick with me. Now, here comes, after this, is the first warning. There are six warnings in Hebrews, or exhortations or admonitions in Hebrews. I'll call them warnings. First warning is to pay attention. That's warning number one. Pay attention. Don't drift away. That's chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is actually a good question, Peggy. Sorry, that's not number three. That's sort of like a little sub 
sub things. The warnings, he can put them in between the one, two, three, four, five things. So we have one, Christ is superior to prophets. Two, he's superior to the angels. And then just a little thing underneath that, first warning. It's a, it's a separate thing. You can put it in parentheses or brackets or something. And then we'll go to number three after that. So there's going to be six warnings and they're going to be scattered amongst the major theme here. So third thing, yeah, the warning is to pay attention. I mean, I'm not talking to you to pay attention, but <laughs> what it means is to pay attention and not drift away. And that's not to you again. <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> the third thing, Christ is superior to Moses and Joshua. Christ is superior. You could just do CIS to superior to Moses and Joshua. This is something you'll be able to look back in your journals as we go through the entire book, this whole study, and go, here's where we are right here. And this is what we're going to be covering tonight, right? So that's what we're, so this is a good thing. It's like, it's like your outline you have. Christ is superior to Moses and Joshua. That's number three. And that's from chapters 3, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 13. And what this is generally talking about when it says Moses and Joshua, we're looking back at Moses, how the old covenant, the new covenant is far superior. So we're talking about covenant. So first it was position, Christ's position is supreme. Now we're talking about um, Christ is superior to Moses and Joshua. For the new covenant, the New Testament is far superior to the old covenant. That's what that's essentially referring to. Now we come up with two more warnings. So underneath three, here's the second warning. You just put number two if you want. Actually, there's only one underneath three. The second warning, don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. So we, he, he beckons back to and describes what they did and their sinful nature. And they kept, God, I mean, if, if you're an Israelite, and you had manna fed to you, and you had pillars, and how could you drift away? But over time, the generations did. So, number number uh, the second warning is don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. And that's chapters 3, verses 7 through 19. Second warning, don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Now we get to number 4. Here's the fourth superior. Christ is superior, and this is a huge part of this book, superior to Aaron. Christ is superior to Aaron. And what's that talking about? Anybody know? The priesthood. Aaronites. Yeah, the priesthood. The priesthood. We've often heard that Christ is our high priest, our, the, the best high priest, the ultimate high priest. In fact, the high priest along the lines of Melchizedek. There's going to be an interesting name and study about Melchizedek. So a lot of people are like, who in the world was he? Some people think he was a Christophany, Christ appearing before, during the Old Testament. I don't think he was based on other, other you know, passages, and he was actually a king and a priest. But I'm, I'm running with something, sorry. So Christ is superior to Aaron. Aaron, being of the tribe of Levi, that was the, were hence the term Levitical priesthood. They were the ones that could only be high priests, the Levites. So that's chapters 4, verses 14 
through chapter 7, verse 28. So the number four was Christ is superior to Aaron, and that really deals with the priesthood. The first thing was the position, then it was the covenant, and then the priesthood. And underneath four is the third warning. Here's the third warning. Is don't fall away. Simple, don't fall away. That's from verse uh, chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 12. And again, this might have been easier. What's that? Absolutely. Chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 12. Yeah, the third warning is don't fall away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's good that, you know, it's often said that when you write something down, it, it sticks a little bit harder, a little bit further. It's something about it. There's something that goes from, sometimes you can hear something, but when you take what you've heard and you go, you go auditory to kinesthetic, which is writing, and as you're writing, you're auditory, again, back to yourself inside, and then it's visual as well. So you're using all three modalities, auditory, visual, as you're writing it, and kinesthetic, the feel of writing something. When I write out notes, a lot of people use computers. I, I, I just manually write notes out. For some reason, when you write something down, it's just something different about that. It's, it's old school, but I think it works. Um, so as you write these down in your journals or wherever you're writing them, you can always refer back to these. And the fact that you wrote them, I, I really encourage people to write notes, which is great. So third warning, don't fall away. That's chapter 5, verse 11 through 6, 12. Uh, Number five, Christ is superior to the Old Covenant. We touched a little bit about that on Moses, but this is in more detail. So number five, Christ is superior to the Old Covenant, which would really be his priestly ministry. Number five, Christ is superior to the Old Covenant. That's 8.1 through 10.18. Almost done <laughs> with this part, but I want you to I want you to get this outline down here. So again, number five, Christ is superior to the old covenant, eight one to ten eighteen. Number six, we're just a couple away, and this is not necessarily it doesn't start with Christ. This actually starts with faith, which is one of my absolute favorite parts of Hebrews. Faith as a superior way. Of the new covenant. So faith being a superior way to live our lives. So faith is a superior way. And you could write of the new covenant if you want. So number six, faith is as a superior way. And that is 1019 to 1319. Chapter 1019 through 1319. Sure. Faith as a superior way of the new covenant. You could write that if you'd like. I did. I did. Sorry. So faith as a superior way of the new covenant. So it doesn't need that, but it, it helps because the new covenant is what we're under. So faith is a superior way of the new covenant. And as you, and I would really recommend if you want to read ahead, read the whole book, read a chapter, go in advance, 
And as you're looking at it, you can kind of look back at, at these notes and go, okay, here's where we are. Sometimes, sometimes Bibles break things down in, in certain ways, but this you'll find is a far more uh, exegetical, doctrinal outline that you can really go with. So uh, let me just try to finish up. There's, now there's three warnings in a row. Fourth warning, really simple. Don't keep on sinning. <laughs> Don't keep on sinning. That's the fourth warning. Don't keep on sinning. Sinning. Singing. No, sinning. <laughs> Don't keep on sinning. <laughs> Are you too close to me? <laughs> so that's 1019 to 1019 to 39. The fifth warning. Don't miss. Oh, sorry. Yes, 10. Chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. Yep, thank you. Yep. Yeah. Right now, my wife's looking at me like, why didn't you just print this out? <laughs> because it's important to write things down. <laughs> Too late now, we're in it. We're in it. We're 98% we're done, okay? All right. Um, so, the fourth warning was don't keep on sinning. 10, 19 to 39. The fifth warning is don't miss the grace of God. Don't miss the grace of God. Yes, sinning. Sin. Yeah, you can sing all you want. Yeah, but no, no. <laughs> Singing, sending, sending, sinning. We've had all four. Definitely keep on singing when we have a choir. So, so the fifth one is don't miss the grace of God. Don't miss the grace of God. That's pretty simple. Uh, 12, 14 to 24. And again, as you study, look back at these, look back at these, and, and, and so you, you can figure out where we are, or you want to jump ahead and look at something. Hey, I want to look at how Christ is superior to the Old Covenant. You'll know where to go. So fifth warning, don't miss, that, don't miss the grace of God. That's 12, 14 to 24. The sixth warning, this is the final warning. Sixth warning, don't refuse to listen to God. Don't refuse to listen to God. 12, oh wait, I'm going to repeat that again. Sixth warning, don't refuse to listen to God. That's the final warning in this book. 12, 25 to 29. And the very last thing is the superiority. Got that big, big word in there again. The superiority of Christian behavior. How much greater it is to behave in a Christ-like manner. The superiority, and this would be number seven, the superiority of Christian behavior. And that's 13, 1 to 25. 13, 1 to 25. which is the last chapter, essentially, right? So did we get those all written down? Is anybody missing anything? <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of give you that outline. We've, we've talked about the why, the purpose, the, the context, the who it was written to, um, why we, you know, what, why it was written, you know, the, what the content is, and then we've kind of, I've kind of given you a, a lot. There's a lot to chew on there, but you can see how rich 
this book is and how it come constantly, it goes back and forth between Christ is superior to everything. There's no questions asked by the end of this book. When the Jews read this, there was it left nothing to, to wonder about. Christ is better than anything you might try to go back to. Christ is better than anything that might be more appealing. Christ is better than any ritual, anything you could dream of. And this has so much application for us now. So much now. So why? why? Here's the why part. This isn't really a note-taking time. You could write some things down if you want to. But these are just like, when you get to the end of a passage, you know, typically when I've taught before, you know, I'll teach and I'll go through and I'll make sure we understand the context and, and some of the really neat things that are brought out in this. But then you have to get to the, as R.C. Sproul would say, so what? So what? What's the point? Why? I mean, that's great information. What's the point of this? So here's the point. Perhaps like some of the Jews, we have lost our first love. Life gets in the way, and we are attracted by the things of this world. So, so why? Maybe there are people here who, because you read the first, let me read something for you. Just let me read this. Listen, just listen. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. If that doesn't encourage you and draw you back to the Christ you once knew when you were first saved, to, to rekindle that relationship, that could be the main reason why we might be listening to this or watching this or studying this. So, perhaps some of the, some, like some of the Jews, we lost first love. It's a call to renew our first love. That could be one of the big parts of why you might be here tonight or why, as we go through this study, it may resonate with you. Maybe things have gone a little stale. And that happens in a Christian's walk. Things, life gets in the way. You kind of go through the routine. Some, some people say when you're trying to stick with your devotions and stick with it, sometimes you just, you don't feel it. You got to kind of fake it till you make it. You just got to get through it. And that's where Christian discipline comes in. But maybe this book and reading this will rekindle that, ignite that fire that was there initially. Secondly, perhaps we have gotten caught up and I, I'm using this term from one of my friends that's here tonight, we've gotten caught up in cold orthodoxy. In other words, all doctrine and no relationship. That can often happen when, you're, when, when you are maybe a very left-brained, very uh, uh, technical thinker, and you want to understand doctrine, and you want to learn more and learn more and understand things. That's wonderful because that allows you 
to explain things to people clearly, but at the same time, you can get so cold in your just understanding that it's just a history lesson. You're reading this book as a historical document. That's why this book might help renew and, and, and swing you back into the middle because there are some that are people, that Christians that are sometimes maybe way too emotional and some that swing the other way that are way too just navel-gazing, you know, reformed and just, but somewhere in the middle, you want to know the truth, you want to know and understand. Everyone's a theologian. That's one of Sproul's books, actually. It's called Everyone's a Theologian. You should know doctrine. You should know theology. But you should love Christ and know that he's your father and you're his son, which comes out in the end of Hebrews, and have that walk and that talk. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. Like that relationship part, maybe that'll rekindle this for some of you. Because I know that I tend to be a little more cold orthodoxy. And I always have to, sometimes music and good worship songs, for me, swing me back into, into that, you know, listening to good. And it just opens up a part of you that just God created us that way. And so maybe, maybe this, this book will help you with that. The third thing, perhaps we have questions about our faith or even struggle with doubt. As Christians, it's so comforting to me when I watch some of the people that I like to watch, the pastors, that say, and these are solid people, but they say there are periods in their lives where they struggle with doubt. Do I really believe what I believe? What, what in the world? Just this guy, the God, this guy. So there are times where we go through phases of life where things just don't seem as real, or we, we know them, but do we believe them? And so maybe you're struggling with some doubt or just, or just a, going through a period where things just don't make sense. This might help with that because the things that are said in here affirm that. And so that's kind of how we can apply that. The final thing, perhaps we have become discouraged in general. Our job is overwhelming. Our struggles seem to define us. Perhaps our health is failing. Perhaps there's family struggles that overwhelm us. All of the burdens of this life, of this world, this could be a call to persevere. One of my things, and I, I, I try to quote this anytime I can when I'm teaching. Somehow I always come back to the, 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 the race of faith. We find in this book of Hebrews to run the race, to persevere, to stay the course, to keep our eyes gaze and our, our eyes fixed on Christ. Fixed on Christ. Run the race. So maybe the things of this world have just got you down in general. And so this book will be a good reminder as we get towards the end of the book. It's wonderful that in chapter 12, it talks about the race of faith, and it's uh, just to, to help persevere, to encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on Christ, regardless of what's going on. So uh, just in, in conclusion, you know, again, it's a call to renew our first love. It's a call to walk closer with Jesus, that walk. When it comes to doubt, it's a call to anchor ourselves in the truth of Scripture and the one who never changes. You've heard that, you've seen that visual all the time about the anchor, being anchored to something, being rooted in something, rooted in Christ, anchored to Christ. He is our stronghold. He is our uh, you know, a rock, our steady rock. Those are important things to, to, to know that when we have doubt, we can come to that. And finally, it's a call to persevere, uh, to run the race of faith, which is described in this book, 
uh, with our eyes fixed on Christ. So that's the why. That might be, one of those things might have resonated with you, of the four or five things, um, but that's, that's why we're going to study this. There's some good stuff to know in this from a historical standpoint, to understand things about the doctrine and who God is and who Christ is and how he's better than everything. But there also might be some encouragement in this for you, whatever step of life you're in. And so I, I hope that this does that. And, and Pastor Brenton's going to kick us off with chapter one next week, which is, I, I read a verse and he's probably going to kill me for doing that, but it's just amazing. And, and, it, and, it's, an, and it's an exegesis of Psalms and oh, it's just amazing. It's good stuff. So this is going to be a wonderful series. I'm excited about it. Uh, I love studying the word. And so um, let's go ahead and just end in prayer if we could. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for, again, each person that's here tonight. Lord, and as we study your word, as we study this book in particular that um, is not often studied, Lord, there's, there's so much rich detail in here about just how great you are, Father, you, Christ, and it, just how what you've done is, is far superior to anything we could ever imagine or find on this earth, Lord. We pray that as we study this book that we are encouraged by it. We're encouraged by the truth of it. We're encouraged by the, 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 the relationship that it kindles, Father. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that even some of the warnings and uh, things that we should heed, that we, we, we learn about those things, Father, that we can keep from falling and, and uh, stay away from danger and trials that trip uh, us up as believers, Lord. We just thank you again for uh, each and every person here tonight. Pray that as they uh, go home, they, they're able to travel safely, Lord, and, and bring them back uh, safely next week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.